Yeah, this is a lovely lease. It's called our nursery lease. It's a really protected zone, kind of, but still close, still downriver and close to the intertidal flushes, but then not in the main flow, so protected from floods, and then also kind of got mangroves all around, so it's pretty protected from big wash and wind and waves. This is Jason Finlay. He's taken me out on the Bundu River, also known as the Clyde River. It's near Batemans Bay on the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, we have about 15 lines of intertidal gear, which is a fixed line at a certain height where the basket's attached to and they dry twice a day, kind of mimicking the natural spot on the water table that oyster likes to live. And then we've got some of this new gear which sit the oysters up and down with the tide and they feed 24-7, so kind of for growth. Jace is an oyster farmer and we're out on the river looking at some of his oyster nurseries. semi-mature Pacific oysters. So they're probably six months of having good meat condition, but Pacific oysters uh, originate in Japan, so they get in the warm waters of Australia and they just grow so fast and so big. So this is just starting to get to the sale size, which is kind of a big Sydney rock oyster, <laughs> but yeah, they get big. They're just a real resilient animal and you can always find a sale for them. People love Sydney rocks and they're, they're only in this region, so they're, and they're delicious, I guess. <laughs> they're just something to be proud of. Yeah, so our focus is Sydney rocks on our farm, uh, maybe 70% of our stock is Sydney rocks. Well, they're not even Sydney rocks, they're, they're just rock oysters. So they're the Clyde River rock oysters or the Bundu River rock oyster. Hi, I'm Sam Loy and welcome to Propagate, a show for young farmers and fishers. This season, we're having a look at how young farmers are throwing away the farming blueprint and finding ways to make their business work. From juggling off-farm jobs, trying new ways of selling cattle, to investing in new tech. I'll also take a look at the other side of the business, because no matter how well your livestock or crops are going, if you don't manage the business well, things can go very wrong. The farmers I'll be talking to tell me what resiliency methods they're using to make sure they're prepared for whatever the future brings. Jace's journey into oyster farming is a bit of an interesting one. I was bodyboarding professionally or surfing professionally and had also uh, completed a teaching degree, high school teaching degree. So had maybe six years of, of surfing full time and a year or two of teaching before just by fluke chance, my brother-in-law had run an oyster farm with his father and roped me in and trained me up. That brother-in-law is Ewan, and he and his father's oyster business, Mikash Oysters, was growing too big for the two of them. He needed help on the farm, and he knew I was just an outdoorsman and would love it, 
and he got me hooked in straight away. And he was also developing a phone app to manage oyster farms and he knew he needed a session plan, someone to kind of take over the whole operation of the farm. And we worked great together and yeah, I guess he believed that I'd be good for the job, so trained me up into his position. From that partnership, Mikash Oysters became Oyster Life. And along with Jace, Ewan brought his other brother-in-law, Jamie, on board. This would be my eighth year, so definitely still pretty green. My brother-in-law and his father were here for 12 years before that, so their 20th year. Yep. There's something pretty unique about Oyster Life. First, they only work four days a week. We have really pretty strict work hours, 7.30 to 3.30 which is pretty wild in the oyster game because you work on the tides, but that was our goal to know we're getting home for the family at the right time. It was wild in the, um, when I did the business course and I went out to all the other farms and we had these big group discussions and I mentioned the four day (laughs) week thing. They thought I was just on holiday. They were like, what? We are like seven days a week, no worries. Like, Felt, felt a bit guilty about it. but So how do they pull off such a perfect work-life balance? So probably starts with the structure. My brother-in-law and his father own the property and the leases and have worked for 12 years kind of paying those off before they involved anyone else. Oyster Life, the company, is is basically a management company which doesn't own many assets except for machinery and any kind of new purchases and boats. But the land base and the water is all leased, so our debt is not huge. We're not putting any personal debt on the line and it's freed us up to spend that profit rather than paying down debt on buying really efficient machinery and setting the farm up to be efficient because from the inception of Oyster Life, family was top priority and there's three of us brother-in-laws as well as a lot of other people that all have young kids and this critical stage while they're young, we just wanted to make sure we could work four days a week so we've got that time with family. and invest in efficiencies to allow that. Jason says the ability to buy new, more modern machinery has really made a huge impact for them. Coming to an oyster farm, there's a lot of old school, like you can really walk back in time and there's a lot of labour intensive bits of equipment and there's new machinery that's come out and new types of basket handling gear that really improves your efficiency but is bloody expensive and really hard to spend go into further debt to buy that so with our with our structure we've just thrown every bit of profit back into new machinery for grading oysters or new basket handling gear which speeds up the process tenfold out on the water so we can handle much bigger volumes in a shorter time and kind of still still have our, our goal of having a premium product, but just being able to turn over a lot more, yeah. Another difference for Oyster Life is that they use a number of different leasing models. 
To have a piece of water that you can farm on, um, it needs to be purchased from a pre-existing farmer and prices are quite high per hectare. And then you also need to have a leasing fee to the government for a period of time. So oyster life not having the debt of purchasing the leases initially, which is a couple hundred thousand dollars or more, depending on how much water you've got, we just pay a rental fee to the owner. So not only the original standing farm by Makash, by my brother-in-law and his father, we lease that water, but also we've involved uh, other impact investors to share farm with us. So people who want to invest in a type of produce that's really sustainable, so they have outlaid the costs to buy a lease, have it developed by us with kind of the latest gear and outlay that money and they will get a, uh, a profit share on how many oysters are sold through their gear. And it's, I guess, in that way, it's allowed us to have that capital free to invest back in efficiencies. I'm not sure if that's happened much in the oyster world before. I know in agriculture, it's just the norm. I think a lot of oyster farmers have their own farm and slowly try to grow it. And so share farming's pretty new. The model of share farming for us is only a, it's still in its proving period, I guess. It's probably the third year in of that model and, and looking good, but it's, it's not hidden in any way, but I don't think we've been vocal. Yeah, we're still proving it to ourselves before we, before we celebrate it too high. I think it's, yeah, it's working great, yeah. This model of leasing off of other farmers and getting investors involved not only saves the team at Oyster Life from getting deep into personal debt, but it also functions as an alternative to getting a bank loan. And that is a difficult road to go down as an oyster farmer. The lease water themselves are an appreciating asset, but you cannot get a bank loan using them as equity. So that's really tricky for oyster farmers to, to grow. They can't use any of this big investment of water space they have as equity. I guess the bank sees it as too risky. So that's probably another tough way for oyster farmers to grow because they can't get loans unless they put it against their house and put the stress of having that family debt. Finding private investors is not the easiest thing to do. So how did the Oyster Life team go about it? How do you find them? I think we stumbled upon them very luckily. Just uh, friends of friends who are in the space of investing in environmentally sustainable kind of types of agriculture or aquaculture. So I think we just got one lucky one lucky in with a, with a family friend, built a relationship with them, uh, proved the model works and kind of got their blessing and now just, yeah, friends of theirs have heard and come down and visit the farm, get the river tour, just kind of fall in love with the place themselves. And yeah, uh, it really fell into a place at the start, just through open conversations with friends and family. But I think once you build one relationship and you prove it works, it kind of can snowball quickly after that. And it's really romantic too. I mean, a lot of people dream of having their own oyster farm. That's what hooked me the first time, I guess, because those early mornings when it's just completely still, 
gorgeous and you you buy yourself driving a flat bottom punts like up the river to amongst the mangroves and just peace and serenity and quiet like it is it's not it doesn't sound romantic it like it is it actually is it's gorgeous yeah so i think they're pretty relatable can hook anyone yeah our investors they do have their own oyster farm and they're not locked in um for a lifetime if they choose that it's not the right investment for them they can after the contracted time they can sell it on or we've got one of our gals who intends to move down and be a farmer herself so when the time's right for her she'll come and do that others might sell their leases on once it's a, the assets appreciated the only clause there is that we get first kind of right to jump on it if we like because it's water that we've recommended and built up and kind of got faith in it part of drawing investors in was the environmental benefits of oyster farming I think I'm learning as time goes in how special the oyster industry is. Just as a produce itself is really incredibly healthy for the consumer. It's a completely natural process in terms that we catch all our oysters from the wild, or most of our oysters. They are fed naturally through the nutrients coming off the land or in from the sea. There's no inputs at all. The oyster is just managed by us and it is creating an ecosystem in the water which supports the river and supports every other animal in that river. So the more oysters on a river, the healthier a river. There's lots of restoration programs going on up and down the coast where they're developing oyster reefs to try and clean up river systems. So they're such a magical animal that's really great for the ecosystem. And as farmers, if you can produce more of that animal in our river, the the health benefits are kind of continuing and and prospering. So with oyster farming, it's a real almost like a a circular system where you're, you're catching something naturally, it's being fed naturally, it's reproducing naturally, and it's farmed to a mature age that can then be uh, passed on to a consumer with such great health benefits. Like, there's not many downsides. And I think that's why these impact investors of ours, friends of ours are, are saying, well, yeah, this is a space, this is a space where we want to be involved in because we know all the positive impacts it has on the environment. Another tool up Oyster Life's sleeve has been their recently released app, Smart Oysters. It's a management tool to help farmers manage their business. My brother-in-law, Ewan, who's quite a visionary, he, he saw the need for a management tool as he was going home to his family every night, racking through everything in his brain that he needed to do the next day. and forgetting things and writing things on whiteboards and Excel spreadsheets, yada, yada, yada. And so the oyster world kind of needed this in your phone space where you can manage your whole farm from and kind of download the information onto that to kind of let you go home and be free from your work. One of the reasons behind bringing Jason on board in the first place was so that Ewan could concentrate his time on developing smart oysters. 
So he had been working on that for years behind the scenes, training me up to take over the physical side of the farm. And yeah, a few years ago, it, it got it to a place where it was a real thing and just kind of revolutionary and basically just changed how we farm. The app's magic, maybe there's apps for everyone in the agriculture space, but there wasn't in this space. And basically right now we have uh, about 750,000 dozen oysters under our operation. And they're in three different year groups and in about 15 different size groups. And they all need to be recorded and kept in their right area and in their right space and graded on a regular routine. And it's just impossible to remember all that. The app just streamlines our whole operation and allows every member on our team to just look at their phone live and have a blueprint of what needs to be done for the day and forecast what's coming up and, and start doing big budgets for the future, just simple things like that. Um, as well as good management of the stock, yeah. So the app's a saviour any time of crisis because you've still got all the information on your desktop or on your phone and you can refer back to it, see what needs to be done. Farms of scale who don't implement something like that yet, I can't picture how they would be able to stay on top of all they need to. It would be really tricky. While we're out on the river, Jace shows me one of the ways the app works. So it's a GPS picture of where we were. We were over here in the sheds. That was the Bud Island where our work sheds are. We have come up the river to our protected little nursery. And if you can zoom out, you can see all our different leases coloured with coloured pins. Jay says the app out on his phone, which shows an aerial view of the river and a bunch of different coloured drop pins scattered around. So let's give an example. You can select any of these pins depending on which line we're targeting and it can give you the information of that crop. So we've got a 2020 year crop here. I dropped this pin uh, on March 27th. There's 160 baskets with 80 oysters in each basket. That's been set when the pin was dropped for an action. So if I looked at those oysters and knew that they were close to sale, I the marker I put on them was that they're conditioning. The shell age and look was right to sell, but the meat condition needed to be extra. So yeah, that's an overview of the farm. They're also using sensors to monitor the water itself. We've always just tried to help out and work with DPI wherever we can. So we've kind of just facilitated them on this river to take them out and be a part of them implementing a project of live salinity and temperature and rain sensors throughout our river at different leases at different depths and you can follow that data through a portal and it's you know there's a lot of farming science without the evidence to back it up so every every old boy goes oh you, you don't put the oysters there at this time of year because of this reason with, with now you can actually say okay salinity levels of this at this time of year or that rain event um, drop the temperatures down to this, you kind of got some science to back it up. So that it's really just the start of that in the oyster world. There's no agronomists in this industry, but there bloody well should be. 
So hopefully all that information gets tied into the app one day and the blueprint of how to run a good oyster farm on your specific estuary can be mapped out one day with more sensors and information like that, yeah. The team at Oyster Life hope the app will help the oyster farming industry in more ways than one. I think the Bundu, the Clyde River, is a really unique river and really spectacular as majority of it is national park or state forest with not much housing lining the banks, not much farming done up river. It's one of the cleanest rivers on the whole coast and we want to keep it that way and proposals to develop land for kind of residential housing right on the foreshore of kind of premium oyster growing areas have been proposed by council and been trying to push through and it's such a special special industry to celebrate on the south coast like it's it's the oyster coast there's nowhere else in the world you can grow a sydney rock oyster it's only on the new south wales coast but councils see i guess dollars (laughs) and so we got to talk dollars and that's okay so we need to basically financially prove to them that it's an industry worth keeping. So if they come down here and see a bit of old ragtag infrastructure and a farmer telling them, yeah, we can make this much money out of what's in the water, it doesn't speak as much volumes of being able to take data from an app of exactly what's being held in these waters or what's being sold as a collective from this river to financially prove to them that, hey, no, this is an industry worth celebrating in this region. And instead of investing money in something that could put that at risk, you could turn it into tourism focused on this special thing that's happening in the oyster world. So it's trying to talk their language and being able to prove that there is a financial reason to support oyster farmers for the community. But like every farming business, no matter the industry, Oyster Life has had to weather a number of difficult times over the past few years. Maybe a few years into to starting here, we, we ran into um, bushfires, followed by floods, followed by the COVID saga, followed by the volcano in Tonga, which created a tsunami surge in the river and ripped out a lot of our leases. Mind-blowing. And each one of those incidences, we probably weren't prepared enough for, but were able to react really quickly and feel like we were set up in a way that we'll be prepared for next time. Each hit them in a different way and taught them a different lesson. started with bushfires. It was our Christmas period on the coast here, and it, the fires stretched from, for a three-month period where our homes in Borley Point were affected in November... The oyster farm itself was affected uh, December, January, and that then also hit, hit the river where we're farming and have, I guess had, had tonnes of ash and debris flood the river. And I think we got really lucky there with the Bundu's kind of big open mouth and during Christmas a really high tidal range, which kind of allowed a lot of it to get flushed out quicker than it could in other estuaries. This river itself is 
in a great space in terms of its resilience to extreme events like that, just with the nature of its big, wide mouth to be able to uh, really flush the river clean every day, twice a day as the tides, tides happen. So the interruptions during our busiest periods of selling during the fires, we purchased these live storage tanks which could hold 5,000 dozen oysters in each tank uh, with river water put through them when the river water's premium, like so before an incident occurs. And then that water uh, has several filters it goes through and is kind of self-sustaining and is chilled to kind of hibernate the oysters at their best quality. So that's helped us. We now have uh, four of those tanks. And if there's any rain, big rain event coming or any kind of event that might interrupt our operations for harvesting, or say there's even a really busy period, say Christmas, where you can only harvest, there's only so many hours in the day, we can uh, stop those tanks full of kind of premium oysters and we have a person there daily packing and shipping out to kind of keep the flow of oysters streamlined and continuous, but also in those emergency times have a big reserve of oysters when no one else on the river or the coast has any because they're flooded out and you're unable to sell we've still got that kind of reserve that we can keep income coming in. So that was a big one to kind of streamline our sales. And then, of course, they also had to get through the pandemic. And uh, restaurants shut, every restaurant in Australia shut. So we have about 60 restaurants that we'd supply weekly and they're in mostly in the states of Australia. So Brisbane, Sydney, Canberra and Melbourne in the capitals. And every restaurant shut for, for months and months. And that was a, a swift kick in the gut. <laughs> and, and the little, the quick, uh, the quick pivot was to use the existing processes of getting these oysters pulled out of the water on the day, packaged into boxes, sent directly to the um, restaurants the next day, unopened. We just switched that into delivering to people's homes. So to their doorstep the next day. And uh, yeah, I, I hadn't seen that before. And I think people were really receptive to it as well because they were stuck at home in these kind of wild circumstances. And everyone still wanted great food, couldn't go out for great food. Maybe were feeling a bit more adventurous and wanted to try a new thing like opening their own oyster a lot of people have never opened an oyster before so we made instructional cards on how to open your own oyster cards how to care to care for the oysters like they're resilient but there's there's things you can do to give them longevity like when they're in your home so it's a bit of a education to the consumer that yes you can do this in your own home and during that period, it really sustained us with income to ensure we could retain all our staff and keep jobs flowing when really we could have gone belly up because every restaurant was shut in Australia. So that was a, that was a great little bounce back for that period. And they've continued to offer a delivery service. We're only doing it once a month as a kind of an oyster club in a way, I guess. Through winter, that kind of 
streamlines our workload so we can kind of bring a load of oysters in for that once a month period and focus on the rest of the farm work when it comes back into summer and all the oysters are in premium condition as well we'll get back into delivering direct to the home whatever day of the week kind of thing. For Jace and the team at Oyster Life, the work they've put into updating their farming methods and machinery, and the app, it's all helped them to be able to maintain a happy and healthy workplace. Ensuring our core values of putting family first kind of are held and we've stuck to for Oh, 95% of the time we've stuck to our four-day work week and that's just massive because every Friday I know I'm, I've got my little four-year-old girl, just her and I. So a day with her is a boost for the soul. So in that regard, yes, we have really pretty strict work hours. I think a huge part is maybe the culture within the company. Just our plan in hiring was to to hire friends that had the right attitude and wanted a bit of a career change and teaching them the skills once they're in over someone who was maybe pre-skilled but didn't have the same ethos. So there's funk music playing 24-7 and there's laughing. There's laughing all day, every day too. So the culture is a big, is a big deal. Oh, we had some we had some farmers come down for the Young Farmers Business Program a few weeks ago, and they were like, "Wow, you guys all sit around and have lunch together, and laugh and joke every day. That's huge. That's just makes everyone's mental health. If they're excited to come and have a laugh with their workmates, that's a pretty good start to the day. Yeah. Thanks to Jason Finlay for chatting with us and sharing his story in this episode. All episodes of Season 5 of Propagate are out now. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode of Propagate. We do a lot of uh, a lot of flushing and embryo work throughout the year to propagate our more superior cows. We put a lot of embryos into other people's cows and they will um, basically raise those cows for us to weaning and we take them back and then market them and sell them under our brand. Propagate is a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and an initiative by the Young Farmer Business Program.